Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today, I want to talk with you about the subject of dealing with angry people. There is a lot of anger in our culture right now, and some of that anger is spilling over into churches and ministry organizations. Now, when I talk about dealing with angry people, I'm not talking about you dealing with people that you see on TV or people that are out in the community protesting or doing something like that. I'm talking about dealing with angry people, meaning uh, church members who are sending you email, employees who are venting on you about issues related to their work at this particular time. I'm talking about people that are personally interacting with you and that are doing so with a lot of anger. Now, the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because of the number of pastors who've talked with me in the past few weeks about dealing with very difficult situations where anger has erupted around them in ways that they found really startling and a bit overwhelming, and frankly, in ways that seemed far out of proportion to the issues at hand. And so that's what I want to talk about today is dealing with angry people in the context of ministry relationships. Now, I want to also say that as ministry leaders, some of us are still are struggling with our own anger. There are many things that are happening right now that are evoking uh, angry responses out of us. The closure of churches and the inability that we have to gather for worship, uh, the financial losses that are taking place in churches and ministry organizations, the family stresses that are being placed on ministry leader families who are having to deal with all aspects of the pandemic and protesting just like every other family. And then, of course, the underlying problem of racial tension in our uh, culture, in our communities, and as it sometimes erupts even in churches. And so all of these things uh, are, are reasons that ministry leaders also struggle from time to time with anger. Perhaps some of what I'll say today will help you to address those issues as well, but I don't want to focus so much on you dealing with your anger today as I want to focus on helping you have the resources deal with angry people as they erupt around you in a ministry leadership context. So let's begin with this important question. Why do people get angry? Or, putting it another way, what causes anger? Now, this next part of the podcast is going to sound like Psychology 101, but stay with me because the insights I'm about to share with you were shared with me a number of years ago, and they have been seminal and directive for me for now, gosh, three decades of helping me understand anger, where it comes from, and more importantly then, how to respond to it. Anger comes from threat. That's the key word. And a subset of that would be the word loss. Anger comes from threat or loss. And it can also come from perceived threat or perceived loss. What do I mean? Well, if you were in a classroom with me right now, I'd draw a big circle on the board and I'd write the word self inside the circle. And then I would draw an arrow that comes from outside the circle and intersects the circle at some point. And on that arrow, I would write the word threat. And where the arrow intersects the circle, where the threat intersects self, I would draw kind of a squiggly line on that circle illustrating anxiety, response, 
and anger. When threat intersects self, when threat intersects self, whether it's real or perceived, the loss or perceived sense of loss that comes with that potential threat or that real threat evokes out of us an angry response. Now, let me give you just one simple illustration. You're driving down the freeway and someone cuts you off in traffic and they cut you off close enough that you have to swerve. And in doing so, you cut across another lane and someone honks at you and you swerve back before you get hit by them. And then you find yourself lashing out, yelling at the person who forced you to swerve in the first place and expressing anger toward them. Now, they can't hear you. They may not, even, may not have even known what they did to you. And there's certainly nothing that your yelling is going to accomplish toward them. And yet we do it anyway. Why is that? Because in the moment that car swerved into your lane, you felt threatened. And because of that threat, you reacted, first of all, physically, but then emotionally with anger expressed to them. What was threatened? Well, your livelihood or well-being was threatened. You could have been physically injured. Your automobile, your, your financial well-being was threatened. You could have had that uh, financial loss. The, your time and your future use of time was threatened because now if you had an accident, you're going to have to spend all that time recovering and dealing with insurance companies and fighting through the processes of getting your car repair and all that was going to go on. And so this one person swerving into your lane has threatened you on multiple levels, and as a result, anger is drawn out of you toward them. So anger comes from threat, which of course produces a loss, and it can come from a real or perceived threat. In other words, that person who swerved into your lane didn't actually do anything to harm you. And yet the perception of what might have happened evoked a lot of anger from you. So why do people get angry or what causes anger? Threat causes anger, real or perceived. And threat causes anger because it brings with it a sense of loss are that we might lose something valuable to us. Now, as I said, this may sound like psychology 101, but stay with me because understanding this analysis is very significant to giving you the tools necessary to deal with angry people. Let's talk now more specifically about the kinds of threats that evoke anger from us. The first is a threat to our physical self. A threat to our physical self. For example, when you're diagnosed with cancer, uh, you may feel anger, anger toward the doctor who told you that you have cancer, anger toward God who's allowed you to have cancer, anger toward your employer if you felt like you've been exposed to something that may have caused cancer, uh, anger toward the disease itself for what it's going to do to you. When you are told that you have a diagnosis of cancer, you feel threatened in your physical self and you may very well respond with anger. Most pastors know that when they're dealing with someone who's received an, a diagnosis like this, that sooner or later there's going to be an angry outburst from that person. And that angry outburst may be directed in a number of different directions, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes as well. But the root of it is anger that comes out of threat to physical self. I feel threatened, I, I lash out in anger. Okay, a second kind of threat is what I call a threat to your relational self. A threat to your relational self. 
I saw this in an unusual way in my own childhood. Uh, back in the day, my father was uh, responsible for managing a racing team for a local automobile dealership. Uh, he built the cars, uh, secured the drivers, uh, and we went to races almost every weekend as a part of that effort. My mother one time said uh, with some anger that she knew my, her husband was not having an affair with any other woman, but that he was having an affair with racing or with a race car. And she felt threatened in their relationship because of the amount of time he invested in racing. Uh, so the anger that she felt toward what? A race car? Yeah, it looked like that. She was always angry or expressing anger about the time he was spending with the cars. But what she was really expressing was the threat she felt to their relationship. She felt that her husband was, in a sense, having an affair with her, was emotionally or having an affair with racing, and was emotionally engaged with someone other than her. And in doing that, it evoked anger from her. Uh, another example is, you know, some, a, a wife confesses to her husband that, that she's had an affair, and he reacts with, with significant anger. Now, that may be on several levels. For example, he may react because he feels that a threat to his physical self. Maybe she's introduced a sexually transmitted disease into their relationship that now threatens him physically. He certainly feels threatened to his relational self. Uh, he has had a relationship, and all the aspects of that that go on now are threatened because he may lose that significant relationship. So we can feel threatened threats to our physical self. We can feel threats to our relational self. Here's another one that sort of comes out of the second one, and that is threats to our personal self. Now, sometimes we could say this is also perhaps a threat to our self-esteem or our self-image. For example, going back to the previous illustration, uh, the wife confesses to her husband that she's had an affair. He may react with anger because he feels threatened to his physical self. A sexually transmitted disease may be introduced into his life. He may be angered because he feels threatened on his relational self. Uh, he's, his relationship to his wife has been threatened. He may lose that relationship, and in doing so, uh, may lose his relationship to his children and to extended family and to all of those things. But he's also perhaps angry because of the threat to his personal self. His manhood has been questioned, if you will. His ego or his self-esteem has been attacked. And he looks at the situation and says, well, why did my wife go out with another man? What's wrong with me? How am I inadequate? Why, why, why didn't I meet her needs? And so his threat level could be threefold. And when you see someone exploding in significant anger, it's important to ask not just what is the one threat, but what is the sort of constellation of threats this person may be experiencing? Um, like, for example, I know another family where uh, a couple really wanted to be the godparents uh, for their niece and nephew. But when the parents chose, they actually chose someone else. And this was a blow to the couple who thought they were going to be the godparents. And their response was, well, what's wrong with us? They were, they were threatened in who they were, in their self-image or self-esteem or in their personal self, and they reacted uh, with anger. Uh, another example of this would be a person who gets angry because they didn't get a certain job. Maybe they felt like they were qualified for it, and it was the perfect job for them, and they really wanted to get it. And then they got the phone call that said, you, you weren't selected. And it crushed them. 
Why? Because it was a threat to who they are and how they see themselves, and they may react with anger because of that. So we can feel threatened in our physical self, our relational self, our personal self, but then there's one other, and that is we can feel threatened in what I call our extended self. This is when the people, values, or things that are important to us are threatened or we feel a sense of loss attached to them. Let me talk just briefly about each one. People sometimes react with anger when people they care about are threatened. I saw this when I was coaching youth sports. I call it Little League Parent Syndrome. Uh, you know, you tell little Johnny that uh, he has to play left field instead of first base, and he has to do that because uh, he's better skilled for that position, which implies he lacks some skills for the other position. And immediately the parent is saying, well, what's wrong with my son, and why isn't he getting to play first base? And it's like, whoa, calm down here just a minute. It's just left field. But the parent felt that their child was somehow being threatened, that their self-image or their self-esteem or something about them was being threatened, and the parent reacts with anger. How about your values? Um, I read a, or was dealing with a situation recently where uh, people were playing a game, and a child came through and flipped the game board and stomped on it and laughed and made a big joke out of it. And one of the adults reacted with some significant anger. Why? Because they value kindness, and they value caring, and they value treating people's uh, things with respect. And when this child behaved in this very different way than what they valued, they reacted with anger. And then about our things. Uh, one of my saddest stories was one day when I was really struggling to put in a yard and get grass to grow in my first house that we had purchased back in Missouri. Uh, a little girl that played on our street went trooping through my yard, uh, absent-mindedly, but running through my yard, and I went thundering out of the house, screaming at her, get off my yard. Yes, I really was the old man yelling, get off my yard that day. And I felt so good about myself for yelling at this girl and telling her to get off my property and don't stomp through my yard and don't come on our uh, on my lawn unless she could respect my signage and stay away from what I didn't want walked on. And when I finished that speech, I turned around and Ann was standing there. And Ann said, I thought we were raising children, not grass, and turned around and went back in the house. Well, that was a humiliating moment because I realized I had reacted with anger toward this little four or five-year-old girl and yelled at her <laughs> across the yard because she had thre threatened a thing. She had threatened something that was, that it was important to me. She had threatened my grass that I was trying to get to grow. So here's uh, the synopsis so far. Why do people get angry? Because they feel threatened or they're going to experience a sense of loss. And this can be real or perceived. And what kinds of threats are there? Well, there's threats to our physical self, our relational self, our personal self, and our extended self. Now, when people feel threatened, they respond with anger. But good leaders recognize anger wearing many different masks. Let me talk about that for a minute. Uh, the easiest kind of anger to recognize is the verbal or written outburst. It's when someone comes up to you in the church parking lot and just lets you have it verbally with both barrels. Or when someone sends you an email that attacks you or posts somehow on social media that criticizes you or your church or your family. Those verbal and written outbursts are the easiest expressions of anger to spot. But let me give you some others to pay attention to because if, as you learn to diagnose these you may be able to address anger on different levels before you get to the angry outburst phase. Another 
form of anger is hostile humor. It's always making negative or cutting jokes about a person or a group of people. Uh, let me give you an example or two. Now, when I first became a president, I was around a, another president quite a lot who frequently made negative comments about his faculty. Uh, and I mean frequently, meaning every conversation. And as I learned, as I listened to this pattern, I started asking some questions and trying to discover what had happened. And there had been an incident a few years ago when he had given some very strong public leadership and the faculty had uh, rebuked him. But not only that, he felt like they had belittled him. That was an ugly incident and an ugly moment. And while everyone moved on from it, the president never really did. And because of that, he had a pattern of using hostile humor to talk about the faculty. I've also heard pastors do this with deacons or elders. Now, of course, uh, every pastor occasionally makes a joke about his deacons or a joke about his elders. Uh, that's part of what pastors do. We get together and we commiserate about the struggles we're having. And every president occasionally makes a joke about their faculty. I'm not talking about that. Hostile humor is when you make repeated references to something that it comes up frequently in conversation and it reveals a pattern of deep-seated anger that you have towards someone or some group for something they've done to you or for something they continue to do to you over time. Here's another form of anger. It's called nagging and whining. Now, this takes, typically takes place when there's a significant power displacement or a power dis, uh, difference in relationships. Oftentimes, children uh, nag and whine and complain uh, as a form of expressing their anger about the situation they find themselves. Employees can do the same thing, uh, and church members as well. When they feel like that they're powerless to really affect a change or to be heard in a situation, they will nag and whine and complain. Now, again, I'm not talking about the one-off, the person who just comes in and says something negative about your sermon or says something negative about your parking lot uh, or your preschool or anything like that. I'm talking about a person who has a habit of nagging and whining and complaining in sort of a passive-aggressive kind of destructive way that undermines what you're doing. That's a form of anger you have to recognize. And then another one is silence and withdrawal. Now this is certainly a demonstration of passive-aggressive behavior when a person refuses to interact with others. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, there was a girl that I knew who was a specialist at this. Uh, she would simply say, well, I'm not talking to you anymore. And she would go for days and not speak to you. She, we both lived on the same street and I remember thinking, even back then, uh, the level of stubbornness and anger that she was demonstrating. Since she lacked the physical ability to lash out in anger against the boys that lived on our street, uh, she knew how to punish us by simply cutting off all communication. And this is particularly hard on extroverts, of which I am one. And so when someone gives me the silent treatment or withdraws from me, it really is a form of anger expressed toward me because it is very troubling to me and is, is almost as difficult to deal with as someone who's yelling at me. You get the idea. Well, there's one last one, and that is another form of anger is someone who's habitually late or disengaged. 
This is passive aggressive resistance to participation, which says, I want to get even with you. I, I want to, I, I feel threatened by you. I'm angry with you. I want to get even with you. And the only way I know to do that is to be late for your meetings or to show up uh, in, in, and be disengaged by checking my phone constantly or looking out the window or drink, you know, being preoccupied with my meal or with my coffee or whatever. Now, the reason I bring all of these up is because we typically think of anger as only being the angry outburst, and it certainly can be that, either verbally or in writing or social media. But there are these other forms you have to pay attention to if you're a ministry leader. Hostile humor, nagging and whining, silence and withdrawal, being late or being disengaged. These are evidences that anger is building within a person or anger has been buried within a person and it's coming out in these ways that are going to be that are destructive and that have the potential of being very much more destructive when they erupt in full flower in some context. So good ministry leaders know what causes anger. They're able to diagnose the kind of threat and the threat level that a person is experiencing and what kind of loss they may be fearing, which is evoking from them their anger. And good ministry leaders are able to discern some levels or various kinds of anger that people express and be able to address those before they perhaps reach the outburst phase. Now, let's wrap up the podcast with some steps to responding to angry people. Number one. Diffuse the situation by refusing to react to misplaced anger. Now, what I mean by that is when someone expresses anger to you, if it's misplaced, meaning they're really angry with something going on in the culture, they're really angry with their spouse, they're really angry with their boss, they're really angry with something that happened to them on the way to church or to the meeting, learn to recognize that and call them on it. Don't get involved in an email exchange or public engagement or verbal debate with people who are expressing anger at you that really isn't directed toward you. So be wise about diffusing the situation and refusing to react to misplaced anger. Now, how do you do that? Well, that leads us to number two. Diagnose the threat a person is experiencing and direct their attention to the real source of their anger. You can direct diagnose the threat by simply asking them open-ended questions. For example, you seem really angry about this, this meeting or this incident or this issue. You seem to be attacking me instead of the real problem. So I'd like to ask you, what are you really angry about today? What is the issue that's really driving you as you talk to me today? Now, once they start talking with you about that, then you can direct them further by asking them questions like, why do you think you're so angry and what can you do about the real problem? Now, that leads us to the third step, and that is demonstrating pastoral care. You know, it's so hard when people come at us in an angry way to recognize that we're still pastors in that moment and we have to give them pastoral care. That means we have to be patient but firm. And it means we have to be intentional, not passive. It also means that we have to give them spiritual guidance and involve perhaps prayer and spiritual direction 
but help them grow to uh, help them confront and grow through what they're expressing to us. So the first three steps in responding to an angry person are number one, diffuse the situation by refusing to react to misplaced anger. No email, no public engagement, no verbal debate. Recognize early on that the anger that's being expressed to you may have what I call a presenting problem or a presenting incident, but if you recognize that the level of anger being expressed is way out of proportion to the problem or the incident that, that the person is trying to connect it to, then call them on it and say, number two, that we need to diagnose the threat and direct our attention to what's really causing you so much anger. So ask them or acknowledge that you really seem angry about this. But you seem to be attacking me instead of the real problem, and your anger seems to be out of proportion to the problem at hand. So why do you think you're so angry? Why is this problem so significant to you? And what do you think is the real problem that's driving you right now? Now, once you've diffused and diagnosed and demonstrated, then I want you to number four, and that is engage the person in a disciple-making process. As ministry leaders, we have a responsibility to always be making disciples. And when a person presents to us a situation that is being driven by their anger, it's an opportunity for not only pastoral care, but also disciple-making. One step in this is to correct their misunderstandings about anger. You know, some people believe good Christians don't get angry. Or the Bible says all anger is bad. One of the most helpful Bible studies I've ever done was to study the word anger in the New Testament. And what I discovered was that on several occasions, the Bible says Jesus was angry. Now that was startling to me because I grew up believing that anger was always bad and good Christians didn't get angry. But I discovered that Jesus on occasions was angry. He saw a threat he was moved to respond to that threat, and in doing so, he expressed anger. <clears throat> I also discovered that the Bible doesn't say, don't get angry. It says, be angry, but do not sin. And it says, be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it promptly and thoroughly. So one aspect of engaging an angry person in a disciple-making process is to correct their misunderstandings about anger and help them understand a more biblical perspective on dealing with anger. And then a second part of a disciple-making process is to connect people to spiritual resources for resolving anger. Now, if my premise is correct that anger is caused by threat and perceived or threat and loss or perceived threat and perceived loss, meaning what you imagine might happen as opposed to what has actually happened. If that premise is correct, then the first resource for dealing with your anger is to increase the security you feel in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the doctrine called the security of the believer. One of the great insights about that doctrine for me was when I discovered that I am as secure today in Jesus Christ as I will ever be in eternity. I am already secure in Jesus. I will live out that security, and I will enjoy that security in eternity. For too many years, I thought that security, the believer, was an after-I-die doctrine. But now I've discovered it's a very much while-I-live doctrine. So the first 
disciple-making point in terms of teaching is to help them understand a better biblical perspective on anger. But the second point is to connect them to spiritual resources, and the first one of those is to deepen their understanding of their security as a believer in Jesus Christ, and that as their security level goes up, their threat level goes down, and as a result, anger dissipates. You also have another spiritual resource, and that is forgiveness. People are angry because of what other people have done to them or what they fear will be done to them. And one way to resolve that anger is through forgiveness. Helping a person come to grips with what's happened to them and how they have to forgive the other person, whether it's their mother, their father, their spouse, their child, their coworker, their boss, or someone in the community who's harmed them, extending forgiveness is a significant step toward lessening anger. And then not only extending forgiveness, but extending grace. Recognizing that some people do things to us that they don't even intend to do or mean to do, which evoke from us this angry response. And extending grace in those contexts dissipates anger. And then finally, another way to deal with anger is what I call meditative prayer, or that is praying through your anger and what's causing it. Now, I've heard people use the psychological trick. Oh, when you get angry, you should count to 10 before you say or do anything. Well, I don't really go in for tricks like that. I think a better response than to, from counting to 10 is to say, I'm going to pray about it for 10 minutes or 10 seconds before I respond in anger. And to simply say, Lord, I'm feeling angry right now. Help me to know where that anger is coming from, how to handle it more appropriately, how to diffuse it in my life, and deal with real issues that are really causing me difficulty and not react in such a way that anger is my only expression. A short prayer like that, a meditative prayer like that, is a strategy for dealing with anger. So, as you engage a disciple-making process, correct misunderstandings about anger and how it's described in the Bible, and then connect people to spiritual resources like the security of the believer, forgiveness, extending grace, and meditative prayer as they deal with the anger that's rising up within them. And then finally, the last step, as a ministry leader, you have to confront and contain destructive anger impacting your ministry organization. Now, <clears throat> while I think the first four steps are to be used, first of all, in dealing with people who are expressing anger in a ministry organization or a ministry relationship or a ministry context, when those strategies are not successful, one of the hardest things a ministry leader has to do is, using the analogy of the pastor, is pick up the shepherd's st staff and use it to protect the sheep. Now, don't misunderstand me. You don't lash back in anger. But what you do is say, you can't say that here. You can't act that way here. You can't have that platform here. You cannot damage our ministry organization or our church by your anger. Now, I'm willing to help you deal with your anger, and I'm willing to address the issues that are a part of your anger, but I am unwilling, I am unwilling to let you harm our church or ministry organization by these outward expressions of your anger. And whatever steps you have to do to marginalize or limit or or uh, corral a person and keep them from impacting your organization have to be done. In the worst cases, an employee may have to be terminated, uh, a member may have to be removed, a person may have to be taken out of leadership and away from a platform which gives them an opportunity for negative influence. 
Now, these are last steps, and I want to emphasize that. You need to do the first four things before you get to the last step. But as a person who's responsible for protecting a church or protecting a ministry organization, when someone is lashing out in destructive anger that is damaging your mission as an organization, they have to be, they have to be stopped or contained or limited in the impact they have. That's hard to do, but it's part of ministry leadership. Well, I hope today I've helped you to learn a few things about dealing with angry people. It's an unfortunate part of what we have to do, and in the milieu and the context in which we're living today, frankly, I think it's going to be an enhanced problem we're going to have to deal with over these next several months. So you can do it. It's challenging, I know, dealing with angry people. Not pleasant, but necessary as you lead on.